last week, we uh, talked about, began this, this, this story of David and Goliath, and what happened eventually was that while the giant Goliath was defeated, what was really defeated was fear. Uh, David alone, out of the entire nation of Israel, the entire army of Israel, um, he conquered fear in his own heart and his own life in order to approach the situation. Now, we're going to continue with that same issue, but we're going to look at it in just a little bit different light. Um, We're going to look at it um, from the very next scene in the story we have uh, David coming away from that battle, the nation of Israel coming away from that battle. Um, Goliath has been conquered, but there's still fear. And, and the fear is in the heart of Saul. Now, how many of you know who King Saul is? Pretty familiar with that character. He um, is one of those people that you see throughout Scripture, You you kind of are aware of some of the events of his life, and okay, I, I think I know who he is. But uh, let me tell you something about Saul, is that uh, he fundamentally in his character changed um, from how he was initially to how he became uh, throughout his kingship. Um, when, I, when I first introduced Saul to you, you know, we talked about his calling as king, and, you know, he is this this big figure, and he's powerful, and, and all these wonderful things. But um, really, when we see Saul initially in Scripture, um, he is a likable guy. He he is uh, humble. He's ordinary. Um, he is just a, a guy who is trying to do what his dad asked him to do, go find. Um, I asked the 8 o'clock crowd this. They didn't necessarily know. I did not look it up. So I didn't Google this. I don't know. What is a herd of donkeys called? Is it a herd? A pack? You're, you don't know. <laughs> is it uh, Is that right? Be confident now. If you know, I don't know. I assume it's a herd. Pack would make sense. Pack mules, etc. I don't know if that's going too far with it, no? Karen, somebody get their phone out and look it up. I want to know for sure. A drove? You Googled that? Who would have guessed? Okay. So, now, put your phones away. I know what you want to do. You want to get on Facebook. You want to start scrolling through. Okay, don't do that. Now, a drove it does not sound right. Okay, a drove of donkeys. He's out there looking for them. His dad told him, go look for the donkeys. They're lost somewhere in the wilderness. Okay, so he's wandering around, and he runs into, or hears about, Samuel. Samuel is in the area. Samuel is a prophet. They know that he's a prophet. They believe that he can supernaturally tune in to God's power and his message and locate the donkeys. They believe that. So they go to Samuel, and they have a little bit of money, and they're going to pay him to tell them where the donkeys are. Well, here's what happens. Uh, Samuel is told by God that Saul is the king, 
and he invites him to a special dinner and etc. And he tells him that he's going to become king. Saul is, you know, beside himself. He's humbled. He's like overwhelmed with this idea, like, who am I to be king of Israel? They've never had a king before. Up until this point, they've only had judges and leaders, and he's going to be become something this nation has never known. He's going to become the king of Israel. And he leaves that dinner, and Samuel has told him, okay, here's what's going to happen. You want confirmation? You're going to go down the road, and this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And everything happens exactly in order, exactly as Samuel told Saul it was going to happen, and he gets this confirmation. But he is still, he doesn't tell his dad about it. I mean, he doesn't uh, tell anybody that this is, encounter has occurred, that he's going to be the king of Israel. He kind of keeps it to himself. Later, um, Samuel is now, he's gathered the nation of Israel. He's telling them who's going to be king. It's going to fall to this tribe. It's going to fall to this family. It's going to fall to this person. And where is Saul? Do you remember the story? Where is he hiding? In the baggage. He's just hiding in the suitcases somewhere. Just, he's humble. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't think he deserves to be king. He doesn't feel... But the humility is maybe not so much humility as much as it is insecurity. He's uncertain about himself. But you kind of get where, yeah, that just seems kind of normal, right? Like, I, I get that. Like, he just, he's uncertain. He's, he's a little fearful. This is a big deal. And uh, he continues on, and we see the progression of this insecurity working itself out in fear. And because he does not take that fear and that insecurity and that, that anxiety to the Lord, and allow God to conquer it in his heart, it conquers him. It rules over him. It controls him. Uh, what we're going to see in 1 Samuel 18 is the result of an unconquered fear and unconquered anxiety. If you will not bring it to the Lord. Now, I know, okay, as a person who has struggled with anxiety in my life, I know some people are saying, it's just not that easy, right? It's just not a, oh yeah, just take it to the Lord and just, just let God deal with it. Well, I, I'm telling you what, I know it's not that easy, it's, but it is that simple. Fear can only be conquered through prayer. Anxiety can only be conquered through prayer. And that prayer has to be approached through faith in Jesus. Okay, now let's uh, stand as we pick up the story. This is 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18, starting in verse 6, says this. As they were coming home, okay, the, the whole army, David included, Saul, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, Goliath, the women came out, all of the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands. David his tens of thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they've ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed only thousands. 
And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David with a jealous eye from that day on. And Father, we, we trust you. Uh, we know that you have greater victories, Lord, than, than anything we've seen, that your power surpasses any weakness, Lord, that your, your plan is better than, than our plan for sure, um, that you can do infinitely more than we ask or imagine. And so, Lord, I pray that we would ask greater things. Lord, we, we would expect greater things and bigger things, Lord, but um, the first thing and the most important thing is that we would present ourselves to you, seek after you, Lord, that we wouldn't pursue anything before we pursue you, that we would seek first the kingdom and then all these other things would be added unto us. Lord, we thank you that the greatest gift <laughs> that you've given, Lord, is, is simply the peace of having a right relationship with you through your son, Jesus. And so, God, we pray that you would conquer fear, insecurity, anxiety, um, Lord, that you would destroy it. Give us a great confidence in you, a, a confident, purposeful mentality, Lord, that allows us to navigate this world and everything in it and everything that comes against us and everything that we come up to, Lord, that we would be able to do exactly what you've called us to do, to glorify you in it, in Jesus' name, amen. So we uh, <clears throat> interpret this song. I don't know if you know this, but it says, uh, Saul has struck down his thousands, David his tens of thousands. We interpret that through Saul's jealousy. Um, but here's what is really happening, that David and the army of Israel, uh, they've just won a significant, I mean, this is, this is a huge thing. There, there is a uh, giant that they're faced with, but really what they're faced with is, is they're on the verge of losing uh, an a important place and becoming slaves to another nation. Um, and they have won a victory. Instead of, of just surviving, now they are the conquerors. Now they are the, the, the victors. And so they're coming off of this victory, and they've pursued the Philistines. They've won not just the battle, but in, in some sense, uh, many battles. Um, and they're on the winning side. And so they should be elated. They should be joyful. They should be relieved. And uh, what happens is, as they're coming home from this huge victory, um, a song is sang that is a normal way, okay? This is a typical, ordinary way uh, of uh, rhythmically um, celebrating. Saul has, won, has killed his thousands. David has tens of thousands. All they're saying is that Saul is the king and David is the champion, that David stepped into the battle. He won the victory over the giant. And it wasn't anything derogatory about this, nothing insulting towards Saul. It was, had nothing to do with that. It was simply a celebratory song. And Saul takes it, and this is how we interpret it. He takes it as, um, David has what I deserve, glory, respect, love, honor, 
he has the people's attention on him. And, and Saul feels like he deserves that. He is owed that. But ultimately, he is so insecure that he cannot handle the idea that somebody else is even getting their name recognized at all, even though he wasn't willing to step into that battle. And so here's what happens with uh, you and me. Okay, this is, this is normal human nature. This happens to most people uh, at some point in their life and to a lot of people um, many times in their life. We're not happy um, because we think that in order for us to be happy, um, I need more. I need something more that uh, until I get this thing in my life, I just will never quite be satisfied. I, and the insecurity of our hearts is that uh, we think that our happiness and our peace really is uh, based on our possessions, on our respect level, on our position, on how things are going in our families, how we are treated by other people, by the success that we have, that if we would just have a little bit more, then I would be happy. And then it's always elusive. It's never within our grasp. There's always going to be something that's just beyond wherever we're at. And Saul has everything. I mean, he has absolutely the kingdom. He has the position. He has whatever respect and glory and significance and wealth that a person can have at that time in history, in that place. He's got it. And David is not his enemy. It has nothing to do with him. David will fight for Saul. David will do everything in his power to help Saul, to bless Saul, to be a champion for Saul. He, if you read through the rest of the story of, of Saul and David, what you see is David um, is unrelenting in trying to help Saul not defeat himself. David's not his problem. What Saul's problem is, is that he is overwhelmed by the insecurity that causes fear, and now he's jealous. And, you know, even as I say that, I, I do think that um, we, we don't often recognize jealousy in ourselves. We just think that um, I'm a good person, and I deserve something, and we're not realizing that there's an issue in our heart about peace and contentment. And here's what we, we have. The quality of life that you desire is only available, not through your circumstances, but through your relationship with God. The peace that you need has nothing to do with what's going on in your life. It has everything to do with bringing your heart and your mind and your life before the Lord. And if you will not do that, no circumstance, no circumstance will ever, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much position you have, Michael, Michael, <laughs> that comes later. 
peace that we need is only found in a relationship with God. Now, here's what's going to happen. We continue on here. Saul will refuse to bring his heart before the Lord. He's not going to do it. So this is the next thing that happens. It says, uh, the next day. Now, he's eyeing David jealously, okay? He's, think, he's thinking there's something he has that I deserve, and he's not going to get it. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. This is what David, see, this is what I'm saying. David, every day, does everything in his power to help Saul. He's playing uh, some music, trying to soothe Saul's, you know, anguished soul. This is what he does. As he does day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. David evaded him twice, okay? (laughs) And here's what we see. Fear will oftentimes manifest itself in anger. You lash out at the people that you love, and it's misplaced. Most of the time, uh, when you are uh, afraid and it results in anger, you're lashing out at somebody that you love and care for, they're not really the problem, are they? Um, There's a situation going on that is causing you to feel insecure, to feel disrespected, to feel that you're not being loved the way that you want to be loved. You feel like you deserve to be loved. And so you lash out and you try to get them to to love you, to do do something, say something. And and, um, my most recent experience, see, here's... Here's what I will tell you about myself. Um, sometimes people will say that they struggle with anger, and I'm, I'm like, I don't really quite get that. I've really never had an anger issue, okay? Uh, it's not, not a struggle of mine. Um, and I know it is some people's struggle, a big struggle. Um, but here's what I do know, is that there are moments where fear will make me lash out, and it results in anger. So there are three different ways that, that uh, we respond to fear. Fight is one of them. Flight is another one. And then the third one, a lot of people don't know the third one. Anybody? Freeze. It's what Israel was doing before with Goliath. They just were frozen. They couldn't make a move. They couldn't do anything. When, uh, you know, a few months ago, Maddie got her uh, driving permit, um, I started to experience more and more the fear-based anger, <laughs> lashing out. And, and it's, you know, I'm not mad at Maddie. She's, she's doing great. She's learning. She's, you know, she's got to practice. And, and uh, by the grace of God, I have a an immense amount of patience with it normally. I really do. Uh, Molly, <laughs> don't tell her I said this. If she's watching, no. uh, she just, she's just, she can't handle it. It's just too hard to, to relax and let Maddie drive. I, so I've been primarily the, the teacher. And, uh, I mean, just once in a while, I get scared. <laughs> you know? I mean, there's just a, 
And when I get scared like that, um, you know, I, I lash out a little bit, and then now we're really teaching, you know, really specifically directing, like, this is what you do, and this is what you don't do, and this is how you do it, and it comes out, you know, a little bit angry. And I'm not trying to be angry, it's just that response, but the response is not, it's not really anger, it's fear. It's that sense of insecurity. I'm not in control. Something could happen. And here's what, you know, the worst case scenario. And then it just sparks. And what you experience, and this is why I'm saying this, is because um, I think a lot of people are not necessarily angry people. Generally speaking, you're not necessarily angry people, but you do find yourself lashing out lashing out at your kids or lashing out at your spouse or lashing out at, at a coworker or, or friend. And you just find yourself doing that. And, and it seems like, what, what's happening here? Why am I so uncontrolled in that moment? And what's probably occurring is that there, it is striking a fear in your heart. Something. You're insecure about something. And you're trying to correct that. And the result of it, though, is more damage. It doesn't help. It doesn't work. It doesn't create peace or joy or recovery or strength. All it does is, is begin to push um, the relationship further where, where it needs to be. And what has to happen is that that fear, whatever it is a fear of, has to be submitted to the Lord. Amen? And I don't know the definition of what that fear is for you, what insecurity you're dealing with, but that's the thing. You have to bring it back to the Lord. Whenever that lashing out moment happens, it's, it should be a reminder. Uh, I got something I need to go bring to the Lord. I, I got something in my heart that's, that isn't corrected yet. So Saul won't do it. So here's what happens next. Um, verse 12 says, Saul was afraid of David. So what you see is this is mentioned many times how he's afraid, he's, he's fearful, he's jealous. But it says Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence, made him a commander of a thousand. Now, you're jealous of this person. Um, you fear that they have more respect and uh, more prominence than you do. So is your initial instinct to promote them? There's a reason for that. I'm going to share that with you. But, and he went out and came in before the people. David is, is going out to war, battle constantly. He is, he is uh, uh, marching out and, with groups, and he is conquering, and he is becoming legendary. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Now you skip down to uh, verse 20. There's another thing happening here. These two things are connected. Saul's daughter, Michal, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. He was happy about this. Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David, a second time you shall be my son-in-law. Now, what had happened was that uh, before this, when David had killed Goliath, 
uh, one of the promises that was made was that, yeah, your family will be tax-free, you'll get riches, and you will become the king's son-in-law. You'll marry his daughter. He'll give his daughter in marriage. This is a, an important thing because what it does is it potentially, not absolutely, but it potentially puts you in line to become king. Now, he would have to outlive, you know, Jonathan and some other sons and whatever, but he, he could virtually become king, maybe, in that position. Um, Saul doesn't want that to happen. What he does, as soon as David says, who am I to become the king's son-in-law, Saul thinks this is his way out, and he marries off that daughter to somebody else immediately so that there's no opportunity for her to marry him. Now, he's got another opportunity. Again, Saul does not want his daughter to marry David. Here's what's really happening. Why does Saul promote David as a commander of a thousand? Why does he promote him to this high rank in the army? Why does he say, this will be a snare to David, that my daughter loves him? Because what Saul wants to do, okay, he wants to manipulate David into a dangerous position. What he ultimately desires, not for David to become his son-in-law, but that David would get himself killed trying to become his son-in-law. That he's going to put him in the front lines. Now, what's ironic, I don't know if it's ironic, what's weird is that David does the same thing later in his life to somebody else. Out of what? Fear. He's afraid he's going to be found out. Saul, this is his pattern. He's going to put David in the front lines. He's going to put him in dangerous positions. He's going to make sure that he's, he creates scenarios that David should not possibly be able to live through. He's going to create a challenge that, okay, you want to marry my daughter? Then here's what you're going to have to do. An impossible challenge that David succeeds in mightily, easily, and actually... Um, two times better than anybody ever thought he could. So Saul says, kill a thousand Philistines and bring me some of their body parts. And David goes out and he kills how many? 200. Brings him a mountain of body parts. I'm squeamish about that stuff. You go read it yourself and it's gross. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Um, manipulation is another um, manifestation of fear. We become fearful and we want control. We begin to try to control people, situations, through deception, through scheming, through manipulation. It is abuse. It always backfires. I'm saying it always backfires because even if you get what you want, you have destroyed the relationship, and the other person now does not trust you, and they resent being used. So you can get what you want through manipulation. It will never work, okay? And it will always come back and haunt you. What God wants is for people to be honest. You need something, you say it. You need somebody's help, you ask it. If they can't help you or won't help you, then you ask somebody else. If you need some help from, from somebody and, and there's no way around it, then guess what? Maybe it's just not meant to be. 
And maybe the Lord's got a better plan and path for you. You've got to trust him in that. But trying to control people to get what you want is never going to work. And how, I'm telling you this now, I'm going to tell you something that is a revelation to myself. It may be a revelation to you, I don't know. But I'm telling you, I have such a huge problem in this area. I hate feeling manipulated. I hate it. I hate even the idea of it. I hate the sense of it at all. Like if I sense that there's even a hint of manipulation, I tend to rebel. Like I just, I don't want anything to do with that. Um, and and I, uh, I think sometimes it can be a problem um, because it, I may read too much into even just basic things that aren't manipulation. You got to be careful how this works in your life. Just because somebody says, would you please do something, doesn't necessarily mean it's manipulation. Scheming, deceiving, and trying to twist things in, in a person's life to get them to do what you want, um, that's manipulation. But just asking, just saying, would you, uh, I'd like to, um, that's not necessarily manipulation. And why I'm saying that is because what has happened to a lot of people is that they have been manipulated, okay? They've been hurt through manipulation, and they will not trust even well-meaning people. Does that make sense? You, some people have gotten to a point in their heart where they won't trust anyone because somebody tried to manipulate them or did manipulate them. And now they're closed off, and now they can't have healthy, functional relationships with people. How that gets healed is coming back to the Lord and letting him heal that and bringing it to the Lord and letting him change your nature, your heart. But let us make sure that we're not the abusers. So here's what ultimately happens in verse, or chapter 19, verse 1. Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and all his servants that they should kill David. The ultimate result of Saul's unconquered fear, okay, unconquer he would not let God change it, heal it, forgive it, um, cover it with his peace. He would not come to the Lord with it. So it starts in jealousy. It, it begins to lash out. It starts to manipulate, and ultimately it hates. And he hates David. This person who God has blessed and anointed, who is only going to live the rest of his life um, trying to help Saul, trying to be a blessing to Saul. He hates him. And he's going to openly pursue uh, his death for the rest of his life. Here's what you see happen um, in a person's life who, who will not allow God to heal this insecurity, this fear and anxiety in their life is that their life will begin to spiral out of control become incapacitated by anxiety. Can't function in society. Can't function in your marriage. You can't function with your kids. You can't do anything. 
it just becomes this overwhelming thing. It has nothing to do with your circumstances. Everything in your life could radically change. Your heart would still be the same. Your anxiety would still overwhelm and conquer you because it is not being defeated by prayer. It has to be conquered by prayer. So here's what happens with Saul. He begins to pursue David so openly and so radically and hate him so much, he, he tries to kill his own son. If you read through the story, he uh, has a son named Jonathan who is a godly character. One of, the, one of my favorite characters in Scripture, Jonathan. He's such a, an amazing person. Saul lashes out and tries to kill him. Um, thankfully, he doesn't succeed in that. Uh, he kills an entire um, group of priests, slaughters them because they inadvertently helped David to escape. He begins to go and, and kill an entire city, one of his own cities, his people. He begins to go towards this city. He's going to burn it to the ground because they're hiding David. David catches wind that Saul's on his way and he leaves, sparing the city from being destroyed. His own people, Saul is going to kill because they're harboring David. Saul eventually spirals into satanic practices, witchcraft, calling up the dead. He has no relationship with God. He cannot hear from God. So he's going to call up the dead and try to get some advice from somebody he should never be even approaching. And he ends his life that way. It's a sad story how an unconquered fear can destroy your life. And the quality of his life, the sense of his purpose in this world, everything that God had, could have done in and through him, all lost. Because he refused to bring it to the Lord and let God heal him, and let God restore him, and let God bring him the only peace that was available through a right relationship with him. It's a warning to us that these small things, does this seem like a small thing? I mean, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it seems like a huge thing. But it, sometimes it seems like, oh, it's just, just a little anxiety. It's just, yeah, I'm a little insecure. And, yeah, I, I have these things that, you know, I'm kind of awkward. And I don't do this. And I don't go here. And I don't like to be around those people. And I, uh, and, and I get it because I've experienced it. And I fight it. But the way to fight it <laughs> is in prayer, is in a relationship with God, is to bring it back to him, is to every time those feelings come up, is to bring it back to the Lord and, and allow him to bring his peace. It's a, it's a peace that is supernatural, has absolutely nothing to do with, with the actual circumstances of your life, has everything to do with having a right relationship with God. And you can't will yourself to have it. And you can't just toughen up. And you can't just try harder. You have to submit in prayer. And I'm telling you that sometimes it's hours of talking to the Lord and spending time with God and walking and pacing and, and communing and communicating with God. And, and sometimes it's, it's not quick 
I mean, most of the time it's not quick. But it's always available. And I know that because not only have I experienced it, but God's word tells me. Be not anxious about anything. Anything includes every circumstance, every problem, every concern, every future issue, every health issue, every relationship issue, every financial issue. Everything includes everything. Amen? But in everything, through prayer and supplication, present your request to the Lord, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Father, we thank you. These promises are ours. They're available. They're made by you to us. We receive them in faith. Lord, we, we want to learn from the mistakes of others. Lord, we uh, thank you that we don't have to make those same mistakes. Even though many of us have, we struggle, but Lord, we pray today that our hearts would be encouraged, that our minds would be strengthened, that our resolve to pursue you would grow, and that you would be blessed honored, glorified, and that we would experience a supernatural peace. Becoming the the people that you created us to be, the, the best version of ourselves, Lord. Even better than that, new creatures in Christ. Reflecting Christ to this world, Lord, we pray that that would be who we are. Not presumptuous, Lord, humble, but confident in you. And we'll give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you, if you have not already, um, find or grab a communion cup. If you need a gluten-free option, go ahead and feel free to move about the room. You're going to want the bread on top to begin with. One of the things that um, I'm just always amazed by is how something so small and ordinary can be so significant. I mean, I guess it's kind of like how we are. Maybe it's in some ways a symbol of, of our own nature. Um, But Jesus takes something that people were experiencing constantly, just bread. Um, They experienced it every year when they would have Passover. There were these things that they would do every year. They would celebrate and remember. and, um, And he just took that simple act of blessing the bread and breaking it, and then he put into that some new meaning, some new um, understanding that this bread now represents, symbolizes himself. It's my body, is what he says. And when you eat it, what you're saying is that 
you are acting out in a tangible, physical way what you've already done in your heart. That I, I have received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I have allowed him to check every corner of my heart and mind and, and see the things that are displeasing to him and, and remind me of those things. And then I've laid those things down and said, God, please forgive me. Um, I've recognized that I'm a sinner in need of salvation. I'm a, I'm a human being um, who is mortal, who needs eternal life, and Jesus Christ provides that. I can't will it to happen. All I can do is receive it. But when I take the bread and I eat it, what I'm saying is, I have received that. This is my reality. This is who I am. I am a child of God. I'm a new creature in Christ. I am forgiven, and I've let God rule my life through faith in Jesus. I'm going to pause a moment here and pray, because I really want to make sure before we take this bread that we're doing exactly what I said. We're letting God check the corners of our heart, anything, anything that's displeasing, anything that we've held back, anything that's not right. We've let him remind us of that and just in that moment said, God, I agree with you and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I want a right relationship with you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you again that you make it accessible, easy. You made it easy. You did the hard part for us. And Lord, I, I pray that we would not take that for granted. Faith is such an amazing gift. But Lord, we, we have to allow you to search us and know us. We have to be honest with ourselves, with you, that whatever it is we've thought, spoken, done in the past, however far back, however, however recent, Lord, we allow you, we ask you, remind us, show us, and let us repent once again. We're sorry. Please forgive us. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that the forgiveness that we have is complete because the price has been paid. Remind us again that we are forgiven. Purified, right, righteous, redeemed, permanently children. And we give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Lord, I, I lift up the cup 
we're about to receive the blood of the new covenant. Thank you for it. Thank you for the blood that it represents shed on the cross. Blood that is eternal, stretching across the entire world, across hundreds and even thousands of years to anyone who would receive it. Covering every sin, every wrong thought and action, washing it, removing it. We give you praise that we are the product of your love. The end result of, of your great sacrifice, Lord. Every life represented here today who's trusted in that sacrifice, Lord, is, is a representative of how much you care about this world and what you're willing to do for it. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. take the cup and carefully peel back that foil. After the meal, Jesus took the cup. He took that ordinary element and he said, this is something extraordinary. A covenant that they all knew. There was a covenant between Israel and God, a permanent promise between them that God said you are my people and I want you to remember always how much I love you that I protected you I brought you out of Egypt and Jesus says there's a new covenant and it's going to be even more available you don't have to be Jewish to have it all you have to do is receive it it's made yours the blood that he's going to shed, that he did shed. He says, this is a symbol of the fact that your sins are gone. You're in a permanent relationship with God through faith. Amen? This is the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink ye all of it. I'm going to invite praise band to join us and close us in our what we would call normally in our invitation uh, what we're going to call right now just a song of celebration amen if you have uh, celebrated the Lord's Supper with us today then uh, you're, you've declared to God that you belong to him and that is something worth singing about and so Let's stand as we worship and uh, give God all the thanks. <laughs>